Welcome to the ninth episode of Earwig Serials. I'm your host, Tyler McNamara, and for the next 30 episodes, I'll be reading from my book, The Mother of Dark Space. Previously on The Mother of Dark Space. From the desk of Everett Evermore, DSC. Your first assignment at Evermore Industries is to take her work a step further by discovering, manufacturing, and producing a trans-biological exchange of information beyond the electromagnetic spectrum. While we're on the subject of Ashley, I request that you take good care of him. On top of your other responsibilities, you continue mentoring him where I left off. With the verbal knife lodged firmly in his heart, she waited for him to hate her, but instead he grinned like an idiot. That smile made her feel like a weak, inconsequential child. She lashed out for stability by slapping Ashley across the face. I baited him with my flirting. I led him into an emotional ambush, and I punished him for it. In spite of herself, she smiled as she remembered his grin. She thought back to their phone conversation, back before he was Evermore's protege, before he was so young, before he was even remotely connected to her career, when he could be the object of her fantasy. And now for Chapter 8. Daisies. Ashley. The doors to Lab 7 slid open, and the big fake yellow sun shone bright in Ashley's eyes as it crested the Alps to the east. As if the Terra Dome were nestled somewhere in Liechtenstein, where the mountain range was exactly the same height as the eastern wall of the Nile Fosse. It was clear that although Ray had left early, she hadn't finished working. The lab had been morphed by the early morning K&J delivery, which had outfitted Seven with big machines designed for little tasks and workspace designers who had moved through and subdivided the room into eight private workstations, with a common station in the middle. Though Dahlia's desk hadn't been touched, Ashley couldn't help but notice that she had included a workstation for him that faced the elevator doors. It was the only station with no view of the outside world. When he saw that no one was there, he released the breath he had been holding, and hastily placed a small bouquet of flowers on Dahlia's desk, hoping that they would convey the exact amount of I'm sorry without straying across the line into Dear Ray, I'm desperately in love with you, and even your perpetual loathing will suffice. It was a fine line shaved finer given the rarity of flowers on Mars. In addition to saying, I'm sorry for your loss, Martian flowers modified the sentiment with, My love. Get well soon, my love. Or, congratulations, my love. He reasoned that any romantic connotation was removed by the fact that they hadn't cost him a cent. Ashley happened to know an electrobotanist with a penchant for daisies. Besides, he had been raised as a traditionalist, and even if grandmas don't get flowers on Mars, people still deserve something nice when you've been a jerk. Ashley would have liked to write his entire thought process on the note, but he decided it was better to keep it short. Sorry for being an asshole. I hope we can start over. Ashley Referial. The moment the pen left the paper, it reformatted his handwriting into a boring, all-business sans-serif font. Ray. That same morning, Ray arrived at Lab 7 later than she had intended to. She barely arrived before her first interview of the day, and even though she was in a rush, as the doors opened, Ray was stopped in her tracks, overwhelmed by the glorious sight of her new science toys. In the midst of releasing a sigh, she choked on it as she stepped from the elevator and noticed a bouquet of daisies on the edge of her workstation. Maybe they're from Evermore, she hoped? Then she read the card. Start over, she scoffed. Every man's dream. The restart button. She threw the bouquet in the trash, where the daisies looked up at her like the faces of hungry UNICEF children. She carefully pulled them out and whispered an apology. Accepting the flowers is to accept his apology, but it wasn't entirely his fault, was it? She took half of the bouquet and half of the water and put it into a coffee cup from the trash and put it on Ashley's workstation. Now we're even. 
Moments later, when Ashley stepped out of the elevator, he wasn't alone. Accompanying him was a man maybe fifteen years her senior. He was of average height, and his dark skin had a deep golden glow like antique furniture. He had dark hair, but not on his face. On his left ring finger was a wedding band. Good morning, Dr. Dahlia, Ashley said with a slight bow of his head. This is your first appointment, Dr. Dr. Sirius Ma'at. Welcome, she said, shaking his hand and leading him toward her workstation, which the designers had outfitted with two white polycarbon chairs. Please, join me. She sat in the chair beside him instead of at her own on the other side of the workstation. She recited his resume. Dr. Ma'at, you have a master's degree in physics from the American University at Cairo and a science doctorate in crystallography and material engineering from Oxford University. Why crystallography? Ray asked. Well, my original interest was in solid-state physics, and then I fell in love with resonating frequencies, the fact that matter can be excited by sound and light. From this, I began to wonder if there was another frequency beyond the electromagnetic spectrum that could affect matter. It was that exact phrase in one of his hypotheses she'd read last night. The feeling of synchronicity had swept over her, and she knew that if she didn't hire him, someone else at Evermore Industries would. Ma'at continued, I'm not the only Muslim scientist, nor am I the only one interested in discovering the connection between the observable world and the truth of the Quran. But after publishing a hypothesis on how spiritual energy affects living matter, I was publicly humiliated and debased by many scientists. I realize now what a gift it was that Copernicus died before his life's work was deemed heretical. I have spent six years in limbo, but it was the speculative scientists who welcomed me into their community. With their help, I was able to find an absence of evidence to support my theory. And I mean that as a good thing. Ray stared at him. None of the other questions on her interview mattered anymore. You got the job, she smiled, and reached out to shake his hand. He looked confused and on the edge of tears. Why? What do you see? I know how you feel. Evermore built this building as an opportunity to do something beyond science. I read your resume, and I've skimmed your hypothesis on spiritual energy, and I see you as a man able and unafraid to look beyond. We need you in Lab 7. I'm glad you're able to see the sense of it, said the man on the other side of her workstation. His thick, unkempt brown hair didn't match his graying, reddish eyebrows or sideburns. His eyes were sunken and dark, and his skin had the color and glossy sheen of wet paste. Ray subtly checked the time. 4.30. Ray nodded and took the interview in another direction. How is it that you arrived on Mars? I was hired to design a quantum vacuum zero-point engine. Like on the Magellan? Ray said. Not understanding her reference, he shook his head. Arthur C. Clarke? Never mind. It's a made-up starship from a classic science fiction novel. He seemed offended. I assure you, Dr. Dahlia, that this is not science fiction. I didn't mean to imply... Ray stood and reached over the desk to offer him her hand. Mr. Zephyr, we'll be in touch. Excellent, he said, standing and grasping her hand in both of his. Once the elevator had closed and carried Zephyr away, Ashley said, You're good. When you said you'd be in touch, I believed you. Ray looked back down at her desk. We will be in touch with Andros Zephyr. Really? Are you going to call him up and tell him to get some psychiatric help? He smiled. No, we're going to hire him, unless someone better comes along. Ashley flapped his jaw in disbelief before crying out. He thinks the Canadians have a 300-year-old secret facility in the Arctic. Ray looked up from her desk. By better, I mean less obvious. Ashley didn't seem to know how to respond, and she went back to sorting personal folders into two categories. One labeled, Team 7, the other, Recycle Bin. Ray looked at Zephyr's file, 
written at the top of his international employee database record was, fired from Kander and Jensen Labs for an inability to deliver results. In spite of herself, she felt he'd just been dealt a bad hand, and she wanted to live in a world where one could recover from that. Maybe he's not the scapegoat I'm looking for, she thought. I need someone who I can destroy without feeling terrible about it afterwards. She looked through the remaining folders. None of these will do. I need someone lower on the social ladder than Ashley. She looked back to Zephyr's file. Right now, he's unemployed, probably late on his rent and days from becoming homeless. If I hire him, it just prolongs the inevitable. Well, Mr. Zephyr was your last interview. Ashley was fishing for permission to leave. Okay, Ray said, waving him off, while skimming the EI employee contract. Great, see you tomorrow. Hmm, she said without looking up. She spoke a text to Evermore. One of the guys I want to hire is playing hard to get. I'd like to give him some assurances. Can I add into his contract a clause that says we'll fly him back to Earth if he's ever fired? Evermore's terse answer came almost instantly. We can make an exception if you really need them. I didn't hear that request. Who's that for? asked Ashley as he waited for the elevator to arrive. Mr. Zephyr. What? Why? Primum non nocare. Oh, Ashley said as if he understood. But as the elevator doors closed, she heard him repeating the phrase to his omni. First, do no harm, it told him. I apologize that this was a short one. I was going to combine it with chapter 9, but chapter 9 is going to be a long one. So this is it for this week. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider following me on Twitter at Tyler R. McNamara, M-C-N-A-M-A-R-A, and using the hashtag M-O-D-S-Book. You can learn more about the book project at earwigpublishing.com or on Facebook at Earwig Publishing. Earwig Serials is supported by you listeners. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider becoming a monthly supporter and gain access to bonus content at patreon.com slash motherofdarkspace. Or if you'd like to make a single offering, visit paypal.me slash earwigpublishing. Finally, I'd like to thank the artist's silent partner for the use of their song, Frequency. And now a short message from this week's sponsor. Do you awaken in strange places and wonder how you got there? Specifically in Canada, north of the Shield? Do you look at the clock and notice that it's 11-11 at least once a day? Do you salivate at seemingly random times for no reason? Have you had a dream in the last five years? If the answer to these questions is yes, and and no for the if you haven't dreamt in five years, you may be qualified to receive cash today. Call 845-206-9453 to pre-interview to participate in an independent study by renowned xenoengineer Dr. Andros Zephyr. Again, that number is 845-206-9453. 9453. Call today!